0: Legionnaire's outbreak at Nova Scotia long-term care facility TC Energy Corp is dividing itself into two and trying to profit off of both fossil fuels and energy transition away from fossil fuels. Trudeau is making something called a National Security Council. And what is happening at the Russia-Africa Summit? Good morning. It's Friday, July 28th. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. We start this morning in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia, where there is an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease at Glenhaven Manor. There are three confirmed cases and nine probable cases. A quote-unquote significant number of those are sick in a hospital. Reports CBC's Anna Mandin. The article says that the bacteria can be found in waterways, and so water at the facility is being tested. It doesn't specifically mention that Legionnaire's disease or the bacteria that causes it can be found in cooling and air systems, but further down the article, it does mention that the cooling towers at the nearby Aberdeen Hospital are being tested. Mandon made the editorial call to add this line, quote, but Dr. Christian Mueke, the regional medical officer of Nova Scotia's Northern Health Zone, said the bacteria behind Legionnaire's disease, Legionella, rarely makes healthy people sick, unquote, which I think is supposed to make healthy people feel better that they will probably be okay. That is ableism, and we saw it nonstop in the pandemic. There's no reason for us to write things like that to journalists. The CEO of Glenhaven Manor refused to speak to CBC, but instead put a statement out saying that bottled water is being used and new water rules have been implemented. Mandin doesn't mention anything about the ownership of Glenhaven Manor, so here it is. This is a publicly owned facility that is funded and governed by the towns of New Glasgow, Stellarton, Trenton and Westville. Next, let's talk about TC Energy Corp. The company, which was formerly known as TransCanada, has announced that it plans to split itself in two. Amanda Stevenson from the Canadian Press is reporting that the two companies will be publicly traded and will look like this, quote, One will look more like a utility company with a focus on natural gas infrastructure, as well as nuclear, pumped hydro energy storage and new low carbon energy opportunities, unquote. I felt like I had to quote from the article directly because it's pretty clearly heavily borrowed from the company's news itself. Okay, so one company will try to pivot to non-fossil fuels, though natural gas is still in there. Perhaps that's part of the rebranding of natural gas as being clean. The second company is something that the Canadian press calls, quote, a new liquids pipeline business, unquote. Its headquarters will be in Calgary with an office in Houston, Texas. Here. I'll quote again, quote, it will focus on enhancing the value of the company's existing 4,900 kilometers of crude oil pipelines, including the critical Keystone Pipeline system, which transports oil from Alberta to refining markets in the U.S., Midwest and the U.S. Gulf Coast. Ah, enhancing the value. Mmm, that is journalism in Canada for you. Again, something that sounds like it was taken directly from the company's press release. But don't worry, says a spokesperson for TC Energy. The split does not indicate that investors are abandoning oil. Quote, the shareholders of TC Energy today really like that oil pipeline business, unquote, said François Poirier, the CEO of TC Energy. For shareholders, the quote, transition is expected to be tax-free, unquote. Something that the article doesn't explain. What does that exactly mean? Why would this transaction be tax-free? And how much is that going to take away from Canadians in tax revenue? For it to be tax-free, Canada and the U.S. tax authorities have to agree to. And so that process will play out over the next couple of months. TC Energy owns Coastal GasLink. The project in northwestern British Columbia was supposed to cost $6.2 billion, but has ended up being double that. No mention in the article of heat waves, forest fires, fish die-offs, ocean temperatures, Arctic ice melting, indigenous sovereignty, indigenous struggle against any of these projects, or anything else about how TC Energy has had a hand in catastrophic climate chaos. Next, news again from Rachel Aiello at CTV News. And hey, Rachel, thanks for your work, by the way. I don't think I've quoted the same journalist so much in a row before. You're doing good work. Uh, Also, um, there's not enough parliamentary reporters in this country. Anyway, have you heard that Justin Trudeau is forming something called the National Security Council? It's new, and this is how Aiello describes it. Quote, overseeing, unquote, and setting the, quote, strategic direction, quote, for emerging challenges Canada is, quote, increasingly facing, unquote. I love all of the quotes in that sentence. She's obviously struggling to explain what the hell it is as well, and just, you know, might as well rely on the words themselves from the government. At least they're in quotes, though, unlike what we just read from TC Energy Corp. The council was announced at the same time as the cabinet shuffle this past week. When asked why such a body would be necessary, considering that there are already cabinet committees and House of Commons committees that look at national security, Trudeau said that we would have the privilege of knowing these things later. Quote, we're working right now and we will be making an announcement in the coming weeks about how it's going to work. Unquote. It seems that the primary concern for this committee is foreign interference based on comments about the quote-unquote real challenges of people trying to destabilize Canada, as if the threat isn't uh, coming from inside the House. But anyway, Trudeau wants parliamentarians more in charge of overseeing national security agencies, and he specifically mentioned bringing people from every party together, which again begs the question, why does it need to be through a new committee? Back in 2017, Trudeau struck something called the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians in its latest annual report and mentioned that, quote, some departments selectively refuse to provide information, unquote, to the committee, which I think is pretty funny. Canada's access to information is so bad that even a parliamentary committee looking at national security and intelligence is denied information from departments makes me feel a little bit better knowing how hard it is is for me to get information from these departments. Anyway, that's all we know. So I guess we'll have to pay attention as this committee gets struck on what the heck it's supposed to be doing. And finally to Russia. In the aftermath of that country's decision to remove itself from the Odessa grain deal with Ukraine, Vladimir Putin is trying to shore up allies who rely on grain exports by promising that it will continue to export grain directly to them. Putin made these comments at the Russia-Africa summit. The Associated Press noted that attendance was sharply lower than the one held in 2019. In 2019, 43 heads of state attended the summit, while this time just 17 heads of state are present. But the Kremlin said that 32 other countries were represented by other officials, and they blamed the lower attendance on countries not feeling comfortable attending it because of the way other countries have been reacting to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Putin has promised no-cost shipments of grain to six countries, Burkina Faso, Zimbabwe, Mali, Somalia, Eritrea, and Centrafik. I will note that three of those countries have historical ties to France that no longer have close ties there. Antonio Guterres from the UN said that Putin's promise rings hollow, as it doesn't make up for the impact that cutting off Ukraine's grain exports will have on the rest of the world. Russia says it will ship 50,000 tons of grain to the six countries. Under the deal with the Ukraine that Russia has left, more than 32,000 tons of grain were shipped out of Ukraine. But the UN argues that Russia embargoing Ukrainian grain will remove millions of tons of grain from the global market. I do have to read this line from the Associated Press for you to remind you how Western media writes about Africa as a whole. Promising Russian food exports to Africa is key to Putin's stated goal of using the summit in St. Petersburg to bolster ties with a continent of 1.3 billion people that is increasingly assertive on the global stage, unquote. Like the entire continent, as if there aren't 54 different countries on the largest continent on this planet, And as if they don't have, I don't know, the capacity or right to be assertive on the global stage like other countries might be, I don't know, including the UK or the United States or Australia, whatever. Anyway, the Associated Press notes that the 54 nations are, quote, the largest voting bloc at the U.N., Which is like, wait, why are they a voting bloc just because they share a continent? Also, that they have been more divided than, quote, any other region on General Assembly resolutions, criticizing Russia's actions in Ukraine, unquote. Russia's plans don't just include grain, though. Quote, Putin on Thursday announced other moves to deepen relations with Africa, including increased enrollments of African students in Russian universities, the opening of Russian state news media bureaus in many African countries, and a proposed, quote, common information space in Russia and Africa within which objective unbiased information about events taking place in the world will be broadcast to Russian and African audiences, unquote. Now, that is really interesting, especially considering the direction that Canadian news News broadcasters have been heading in, which is the opposite direction, including CTV News deciding to close all of its foreign bureaus. So, this is all part of changing the poles of power in the world, and it will be very interesting to see how news changes coming out of the continent as a result. Certainly, we aren't doing ourselves any favor with all of our African bureaus. Oh, wait, I think that there's literally only one and it's Jeffrey York at The Globe and Mail. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not thinking of anybody else, but I don't think I'm wrong. So very interesting, very interesting to watch to see what happens with that. Those are your headlines for Friday, July 28th. I'm Nora, and hey folks, this is my last day before holidays. So I hope you've enjoyed the daily news up until now. I've only think I've taken one or two days off. So I'm pretty proud of that (laughs) kind of like miss perfect attendance, I guess in school, but yeah, I'm taking all of August off. So if you love the daily, so if you love the daily news and it has become part of your routine, I'm really sorry to, Break with that routine, but I will be back as soon as I can be, which will likely be just after Labor Day in September. I'm going to be on the road. So if you are in Halifax, mark your calendars, August 15th. I'm going to be at King's College. So love to see you there. It'll be an evening event. And for everybody else who isn't in Halifax, I hope you have a wonderful and safe and healthy August. I will miss doing this. I will miss you all, but I'll be back. So stay tuned.